Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 20, verses 32 through 36. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have, have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Amen to his word this morning. The Church of the Brethren seemed to be growing at a pretty rapid pace here in our area. The July 26 in 1892, the district's lines are drawn. You should have a picture up there. The district lines that were first drawn in 1892 should be a, a different picture than that one. Nope. Yep. So just think, this is made in 1892 when they wanted to redo the district. I get all this stuff out of the book. This is the original minutes, council meetings, whatever you want to call them, from the two churches, Tom's Run and the Sugar Hill Congregation. So all my information comes from um, reading these books. August 7th, 1906, new lines are drawn. The church began to grow, so they began to draw new lines. November 7th, 1913, they redraw the lines again to who's going to be in what district and what church they're going to go to. And I wanted to read uh, just something that they said during this November 7th, 1913 meeting, just a snippet of what they were thinking and feeling. The committee all expressed themselves as believing that the time had come where a change in the present church lines might be made whereby the members may become more united and be able to do more and better work for the master. You know, you got to keep in mind, they didn't have cars and trucks and stuff like that. And Preble County, I'm told, was one of the worst places to travel through with all the woods and everything. And so they got together and said, we really need to draw these lines. And what they wanted to do, they wanted the church to be together to be united in the ministry in what they were doing. The church was growing and expanding, so the elder decided to redo the lines again to help the church extend. Elders such as Jacob Garber, Jonas Horning, Frank Brubaker, leading the people of God into the service of God. They elected one person to be their minister. They called them elders, but they elected one out of the elders to be their so-called pastor, what we would call it today. But then they decided they wanted to have deacons as well. Noah Erbal, Edward Jarvis were elected to carry on the work of the church. This is a lot of districts that has to be taken care of. They had church houses, so they wanted to have a pastor, pastor it. And then they wanted to have what they called deacons to do the physical work of the special service they would have as brethren to take care of the needs of the people. Men and women dedicating their whole life to the work of the church I believe this is kind of what Paul is talking about here in our scripture lesson this morning. The gospel was being preached. Souls were being saved. People were giving up everything they had to follow the Lord Jesus. 
And so Paul, when he's writing to these men, he realizing he was coming to the end of his ministry. He is about to go die. He says, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me, but I know it ain't going to be good. So I want to encourage you men uh, to continue the work of God when I go. So realizing he's coming to the end, he encourages his elders or deacons. And I know different churches have different names for elders and deacons, but the way we do it now is you have a pastor and then you have deacons. The deacons take care of things in the church, which I'll talk about as we get going this morning. But Paul says three things to these elders uh, in this scripture. Number one, he says, I commend you to God. I leave you in good hands. My time has come to an end. I have preached. I have taught. I have done the things God asked me to do. I must be moving on. And I leave you into the hands of God for him to take care of you. And then the guy started thinking, well, wait a minute. How will we continue the work that you started, Apostle? How will we do the things that God done in you? How is he going to do these things in our life? How will this God take care of our families? What is he going to do for us and our families that we can be taken care of? How is this going to work out? How, we, how will we survive in difficult times? These are things these guys were asking the Apostle Paul. What's going to happen to us when you leave and Paul could only say I leave you in good hands don't we do that today just take let's talk your work right if somebody over you says I'm getting ready to retire and move on panic starts to sit in by the other people because well how are we going to continue you're the one who knows all this stuff you're the best at doing it plus you take all the heat when it goes wrong so why are you leaving that to us what will we do the same thing happens into a church Nothing's no different. When a church loses the pastor, or the pastor says it's time for me to resign or retire, what does the church do? The very first thing they do is they get together. We got to go pray and seek God. We need God's help. So you start putting your committees together and all these things together. But then you rally around one another and say, we got to do this because God is asking us to. This is what Paul is doing. He says, look to God in faith. You must trust God. You have to trust his providence. You have to trust his protection over your life. Draw nigh to him and he will draw nigh to you. Paul says we are brothers. He will take care of you just as he has taken care of me. I commend you to God, he says. Well, look at the apostle Paul. Wasn't he taken care of in his life? He was out there seemingly left alone, but men and women came around him and built him up and led him along the way. So he can rightfully say, I commend you to God. Trust him, follow him, serve him, and rely on him. Secondly, he says, I commend you to the word of his grace. Trust the Lord Jesus, the word incarnate. God is the word of life because Jesus is all about life and moving, and touching, and saving. He is the word of God made flesh. Trust in him. Paul says, take hold of that word. It is the word of God. It is the person of Jesus Christ that set you free. Grab a hold of him. Lean on him. Trust him. Follow him. It is he who sets you free, and nobody else. So take hold of that word. Let that word dwell in you richly. Let the word of God flood your mind, flood your heart, Flood your soul. Turn it all over to him. After all, the word of God is your source of faith. 
The word of God is your source of hope, and the word of God is your source of love. It can only be done in the right way, in the following way, if you put your trust in God and hope in him. The word of God is your uh, guide to walk and to live in him. If you want to know how to fix a problem, get in the word of God. What does the word say about relationships? What does the word say about marriage? What does the word say about how you're to treat your kids? What does the word say about how you're to act in society? What does the word say about you as a leader in the church? What does that word say? And trust that word and let that word lead you, guide you, and always follow and trust in what the word says. You can count on the word of God. And Paul finally says, number three, I've done it the Lord's way. He's saying to these men, hear my heart. Hear my motives. I've only followed the word, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the world and all of its desires mean nothing to me. I want to know Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead. I want to know him because he saved my soul, he changed my life, and he touched me. Everything around me does not matter. These things are a fleeting moment. They're going to go away. They're going to be left behind. You might even lose a lot. But he says, I trust in none of those things. He says, this world means nothing to me. Paul says, now I've not been jealous of what others have. I never looked at this man. He says, look at all of what he's got. Look at all of what he's got. Look at that church over there. Look at those believers over there. Look at all of what they got. He never worried about that. He only worried about his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not jealous of anybody else around him. He laid it all down because all he wanted to do was to please God. He says, my own hands has provided for me. I went to work myself. I made the tents. I built things. I got things done. I went to other churches and sought their support to help other churches grow. But I worked to be a good example to you to show you that I'm no better than anybody else, he says. My hands has provided for my needs. Paul once said in the scriptures, I could have asked you for money. He said it was my biblical right to ask for money, but I did not want to be a hindrance to anybody. So I showed you by my example, and I worked with my own hands to take care of my needs. Paul says he'd done it for the glory of Christ. He did not want to be a stumbling block to anybody. He didn't want nobody to look at him and say, you're not a true man of God. You're not following Jesus and you don't know him. Paul says, I will not be that way. And anything I can do to alleviate somebody judging me in that capacity, I will. A lot of TV preachers, people don't like. They have planes, trains, and automobiles. They get jealous of them because they have big mega churches and they have all this fancy Nancy stuff and people make judgment on their lives and say, if you was a man of God, you would do this or that. Paul wasn't like that at all. He was just a humble man who wanted to do things for the glory of God so that nobody could uh, say, you have offended me. Paul says to these men, you've been with me and you know this and you understand that. You've seen my life. You've understood my life. We've followed together. I've taught you. I've led you. I've got you. You know that in me is no ill will toward anybody or to do a bad thing. He says, you guys know this. He finally says, this is the way that Christ served. When Jesus came on the scene, he just merely served men and women all around him. He didn't ask for anything. He didn't seek anything. He said, it's better to give than receive. 
He wouldn't take nothing from anybody. Jesus Christ was a servant. And Paul says, I look to the Lord Jesus Christ to take care of me. I done it the way he wanted it done. Paul gives the results of him doing such service. He says, since we've done this, he says, number one, if we do these three things, we will, first of all, be built up in our faith because of his word working in our lives. If we trust him and follow him, we will be lifted up to the glory of God. You guys know you find fulfillment in doing the things of God. You might struggle, you might hurt, but you find fulfillment in your heart when you're working for him. One of the greatest things I ever did in my own life, in my own faith, is when I went to the jail and preached at the jail. They called it Fancy Nancy Prison Ministry. But to preach to men who were hurting, whose families were broken up, and then to say when they come out of jail, me and two elders would get a place at a... um, a hotel, they would put them up in the hotel and start training them and help them get jobs, take them back and forth to work, help them to grow in Christ, save a little bit of money to maybe buy a home, and maybe reconcile back with their families. There is great enjoyment and fulfillment when one serves Christ in that capacity. You find fulfillment when you serve him and your faith is built up because his word is working in you, it's flowing through you, and you realize, God, you're doing something in my life. So we're built up in our faith when we do such services. Number two, it makes us joint heirs with all the saints who have gone before us. All those who live the light of faith, we follow in their footsteps. We sit in the footsteps of other people this morning in this building. Men and women who sacrifice so much of their lives and their abilities and their lands and their monies, all for the glory of God so that future generations could worship God in the same kind of manner. We are joint heirs with them, and hopefully we will leave a legacy to our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren to say, God has done a work in our lives. We want him to do a work in your life as well. It enables us to be a blessing to others, just as Paul learned from his friends and ultimately from the Lord Jesus Christ. How did Paul learn this when he got saved? He was out on his own. He got saved and they took him to a little room and he was blind for three days. A guy came and said, I'm going to anoint you, but I don't want to be your friend. And here comes this little dude named Barnabas. Barnabas was a rich man. He had a lot of money, but Christ saved his soul. He gave up the money. He spread it to the poor. And when nobody else wanted to be the apostle Paul's friend, he said, hey, God told me to come and connect with you. We're going to go on a missionary journey, and we're going to see souls saved for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Those two were buds. Saved, working for the glory of God. So a friend came to Paul and said, let's do this work together. Well, who did they learn it from? They learned it from the Lord Jesus. In his life, in his mannerisms, what he did. It's better to give than receive and to be a blessing to everybody else. Has not Jesus blessed us? Has not he forgiven us? Has not he been good to us? Does he not look over all of our flaws and everything we mess up? Sure, he calls us out on it. But don't he just say, come, follow me. Come, serve me. Come, because I am here for you. (laughs) Ultimately, they learned it from the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone in the Oak Street Brethren is called to serve. We're all called to serve Christ in some capacity, no matter what your 
call is, no matter what you do, it's important to the kingdom of God. And the church will only grow and move if everybody does what God lays on their heart to do. That's the only way the church will work. All of us are called to serve. But there's something about that word. Deacon. I've never been in a church where we had deacons. We had seven men who were called the council. These men kind of oversaw everything. But deacons in this church carries a heavy weight. We're all called to serve. I'm not dismissing nobody's service or nothing like that. But when you carry the role of deacon, you carry a heavier responsibility. Our deacons serve this congregation just like the deacons in the past. What did those deacons do? They visited. There was a lot of territory for all these men of God to cover. These deacons ministered to them. They visited with them. They set up the baptisms. They set up the threefold communion. They worked hard for the congregation for the glory of God. That was their role. They were spiritual and physical examples. A deacon can't run. A pastor can't run. We're exposed. Other members can get away with certain things, but a deacon and a pastor can't hardly get away with nothing. I guarantee, well, maybe I don't guarantee, but if you was to see me at a bar slipping a slow gin fizz, would you not question my call? Would you not? What kind of man of God does that? You definitely would have questioned my God when I was coaching basketball. Uh, Mr. Shockey would have never called me. What kind of man of God acts like that? And I asked him, I said, did you guys ever see me coach when I figured out who Brody Rack was and stuff like that? Are you got, have you ever seen me coach? Do you know who I am? Well, we never seen you at contrary. And I went, whoo, I was rough. Pastors and deacons, we, there's just certain things you can't get by with. Not saying you want to get by with it, but the weight and call of God on our lives is heavy. And it's a call that we all take serious. We all want to follow God. We all want to serve God. And deacons and pastor, we want to serve this congregation. And we're going to start doing it in Lent. Ash Wednesday service. When we did things for the funeral. When you set up threefold communion. When you call on people. When you visit people. All the things we do is a big, huge responsibility. And I said that to say the deacons are missionaries of this church. And in their call to service, they reach out to others. One of the ways they did it was the Brethren Disaster Relief. Was there not a call when it happened in Kentucky, we need supplies? I'm pretty sure as Mr. Shockey and a few of the deacons got together and was receiving that. And then we took it over to the church in Inglewood. Some of them wanted to go to those places to be a help. To somebody else. And I know everybody does, but there's just something about when the deacons do it. You have a huge responsibility on your shoulders, deacons. And I know that maybe I'm I'm the spiritual leader, but us together, we work together to lead and guide the congregation in spiritual matters and to take care of the church physically. 
and to help them grow in Jesus Christ. So the deacons are missionaries of this church, and in their call to service, they reach out to others for the glory of God. They are missionaries in our congregation, and they help us grow. Last week, it was Women's Fellowship. They're missionaries in our congregation. I've been speaking about missions, the mission of our church, and who we want to reach out to. Each arm of the church is missionary in its own way. Isn't that what Jesus says? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, preach the gospel. But it starts with you and me in our own lives, in our own hearts. God doing a work in us. And as he does a work in us and he grows in us and he moves in us, then we are able to reach out to others. This will be the last Sunday I'll speak about missions because now we're going to go in the next few weeks into the wilderness. And what it means to follow Christ when times are rough. When times are hard. But this morning, I would like for us to take a moment just to thank God for the missionary work of the deacons in our church. Give God praise that it's in their hearts to do the things they do for the glory of God. And let us work as one, as a body of Christ, to fulfill what he's wanting us to do. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name and I thank you. For the Apostle Paul and his examples to the elders that were around him as he was leading the church at Ephesus to turn those men loose for the glory of God. That they could trust him, they could rely on him, and they could follow him. Just believe in him. Allow him to do the work in their lives. And those men took that on and the church grew. The same way with the brethren who started way over in Germany. It was on their hearts to have a certain way of life. And the door was open and look what we have today. We're so thankful for the men and women, the elders and the deacons who led the way in the past. And I thank you for the deacons of the Oak Street Brethren. And I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you work in our hearts. Your Holy Spirit touch us, move us, guide us, direct us. So that we can carry this church on in the future. That you would be exalted, that you would be lifted up, and that you'd be glorified. We thank you for all that you do in our lives. We thank you for the Oak Street Brethren. We thank you for all the people who make this church their home. May we walk in you, serve you, follow you, and do the things you're asking us to do in service for the glory of God, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to know if you would stand with me this morning for the benefit.